KMTT, today is Tuesday, the Shur in Parshat HaShavua will be given by Havav Alex Israel. Hello, this is Alex Israel uh, from Alon Shput, uh, and we're going to be discussing uh, Parshat Bahar B'chukotai. Um This week we're going to focus on the famous um, brachot and klalot that we see in Parshat B'chukotai. Um, the Torah gives us a choice which could not uh, be more clearly expressed um, there's a blessing, there's a curse there's success, there is failure there are two alternative options that the Torah presents us for the future of the Jewish people two equal visions it would seem but one is growth, security, prosperity um, the good times and then there is the awful alternative uh, we see spelled out in the parsha a possibility of the devastating destruction desolation and ultimately exile and uh, what determines the one over the other what will um, our national fortunes depend upon very simply in if you are willing to keep God's laws then everything will work out for the best. And if you do not perform, do not listen to me and do not perform these laws, if you reject my laws, then uh, the apocalypse will happen. We have the good news and the bad news. On first glance, there is incredible symmetry between the bracha and the klala, the blessing and the curse. Um, it's almost as if the phrases are lined up one against each other maybe I can give a few examples in the original bracha it says and if you listen to my laws you will have rain in its correct time the land will give its produce and the tree as well in the curses here um, it gives exactly the reverse language the land will not give its produce the tree will not produce its, 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 its fruit or for example it says to us in verse 5 you will have plentiful uh, food whereas in the opposite uh, message in Pasuk Chavav verse 28 it says um, that 10 women will bake their bread in one oven and uh, even people will eat and they will not be satisfied in other areas in terms of peace it says I will give peace in the land you'll go to sleep and you won't be afraid whereas in the reverse in Pasuk 36 it says oh sorry 36 yes it says I will bring fear in your heart and you'll be scared even by a kol alenidas, even by a a a wind, bl- uh, sorry, a leaf blowing in the wind. In other words, uh, what we have here is exact opposites. Instead of in the blessings, or in verse seven, you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you in war. Whereas if you look at the opposite image. Uh, that you see there in verse 17 um, I will smite you before your enemies you will run away 
even though no one's chasing you. In other words, are we chasing? Are we the pursued? Um, even in the realm of internal peace, one of the problems um, of uh, Israel that we'll, we read about in the Tanakh in general, but we'll talk about it in a few minutes, is uh, wild animals. When you had a relatively small population and uh, many forests and desolate areas, who knows when a lion or a bear or something could come out of the wilds as you're going along the highway. Um, and therefore, in the blessings it says, there won't be wild animals who will attack you as you go along the highway. That's in the blessings. There won't be wild animals. However, if you have a look in the um, in the curses in verse 22, um, the animals will come against you. They will uh, kill you. They will kill your 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 beast, your livestock. Um, nobody will travel the roads from fear in other words what, I, what I'm suggesting is that uh, there's phenomenal symmetry and you can really match phrase for phrase the blessings for the curses and you can see that the blessings and the curses are an inverse one of the other um, if we follow the Torah we get the blessing if we don't follow the Torah the curse they would seem to be exactly the same However, opening a Tanakh, uh, one raises the question whether they are indeed the same. Let me raise two questions um, as to why I would say that they're actually asymmetrical, how, why they're, they're not the same, they're not exactly equal. First is the length. Uh, the blessings receive uh, 10, 11 verses from Pasuk Gimel to Pasuk Yud Gimel. Verse 3 to 13 are the blessings. A relatively short piece. Whereas the curses are far longer. They stretch from verse 14 all the way through to verse 46. And even if you don't count the end, certainly they are three times longer, at least three times longer, the curses are three times longer than the blessings. If we're trying to create a symmetrical structure, why do we make the curses three times longer than the blessings? That's our first question. The second relates to the actual way in which the text is structured. Um, if you look at the uh, blessings, it would seem to be a, simply a laundry list, a list of all sorts of different blessings that will happen to us. We talk about the increased agriculture, national security, um, the war situation which will be in our favor, and uh, even at the end, the religious situation. It would seem to be a list. If you keep the laws, here are the five, six, seven, ten, twelve things that God will give you as a gift in response. However, um, it looks like a straight out uh, series, a list. However, when we look at the curses, there would seem to be a certain increment, a certain, um, a certain staging which takes place, where things work um, by stages, slowly, one after the other. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Uh, we get the first uh, if you don't listen to me and you do not perform these laws if you reject my covenant then what will happen he says I will give you all sorts of illnesses and all sorts of bad things will happen and then in verse 18 and if this still doesn't make you listen I am going to punish you seven times fold sevenfold and uh, he continues to say, the Torah gives a whole another list of things and then 
verse 21 if you still say this is just a freak chance that bad things are happening and you still don't listen to me so I'm going to hit you again sevenfold and there's another list of tragedies and then again and even in these you don't listen to me then I'm going to make things even worse the impression of the curses is that we don't get the curses in one fell swoop that we get the curses stage by stage um, we get a few if we still don't learn from our actions then um, we get more and it gets more intense and more intense but God is sort of waiting for us to shape up God is waiting for us to wake up God is waiting for us to adjust our, um, our behavior and if we adjust our behavior only if we do then we will be able to um, avert disaster in other words the blessings would seem to be a series which happens we listen to the mitzvahs we listen to God's law God will give us all of these things whereas the curses it would seem like God almost demonstrates his mercy within the system God says I'll, I'll punish you a little bit and I'm, this is sort of a wake up call and if you, if you change your behavior then you won't get any more uh, but if you're still bad then you'll get more etc and God is giving us a chance for reform in that way um, in both these ways we've demonstrated that there it would appear at any rate that there is a, a very asymmetrical um, relationship between the two because whereas there might be a mirroring of some of the blessings and the curses uh, the blessings are certain uh, situations which we would want and the curses are their opposite uh, there are two significant differences the curses are three times as long and maybe we can argue three times as scary three times as intense um, simply by their length second of all uh, whereas the blessings are given to us en masse they're given to us in one bundle in one uh, collective the curses are incremental and then we want to ask the question why is there this disparity between the two I'd like to um, address these questions of symmetry uh, using our Mepharshim and the first one we're going to look at is the Ibn Ezra the Ibn Ezra says um, that actually we shouldn't be uh, concerned at all by the disparity in length he says um, the mindless will say that the curses are longer than the blessings but they do not speak the truth he says um, the blessings are presented in general form whereas the curses are spelled out in detail um, and the question is why why does the Ebra, Ibn Ezra have this opinion that the blessings and the curses are in fact um, just one spelled out in, in, in uh, skeleton form and one in detail and he says very simply this is to frighten the listener and steer Phil into him and if you look into the verses carefully you'll understand my words when we look at the Ibn Ezra what the Ibn Ezra is actually telling us is that we should not look at the length of the parasha as we sometimes do but rather we should look at the content and he says indeed the content is exactly the same the content is perfectly balanced everything is fine the only reason why there is a disparity in terms of the length is because actually we're trying to be more scary and in the, the, the blessings are no less intense no less abundant than the curses rather um, the reason why the curses are spelled out in all the, all the specifics and all the detail it's simply to uh, draw the message home sort of act as an incentive for our observance to act as a to, to frighten the people interesting that answers our first question they are symmetrical 
it's just they're written down asymmetrically in order to induce us to greater observance. But what about our second question? The question about the increments. God says, if you do this bad, then I'll give you more curses. If you do this bad, I'll give you more curses. Do we see such a thing in the, in, in the blessings? Uh, Ralph David Svi Hoffman, the 19th century German commentator, actually suggests that in the same way as the curses are divided into five sections, five different uh, increments, uh, the blessings are also divided in this way. And in that way he suggests that there is perfect symmetry between the two, and that we could see the blessings as almost five independent units, separate blessings, and um, there is no causal link um, they're each significant for the nation um, however maybe we can suggest similarly to the curses God is waiting for the, us to uh, do certain mitzvot then we'll get a certain number of blessings if we continue it will go up a notch it will go up a grade and continue on an upward gradient uh, how exactly does he work this of David Svi Hoffman he says that the first blessing is one simply of agricultural abundance we will have so much abundant agricultural produce that as we are dealing with the grain harvest as we are dealing with the uh, wheat harvest um, we will find ourselves in the batsir we will find ourselves in the, in the grape harvest and as we find ourselves in the grape harvest at the end of the summer we will already need to be sowing the wheat harvest for the next year in other words we will be so dealing with such an incredible volume of uh, farming that we will find ourselves moving from one season to the next without any downtime now I know we all like downtime but the impression here is there will simply be such abundant volume of agricultural produce that uh, life will be easy and the primary worry of the farmer is indeed that they will have lean years um, that there will be years where there is no produce this is indeed a blessing that's the first blessing um, agricultural abundance it's interesting that the Rambam says uh, in Hilchot Shuvah that uh, sometimes God gives us physical blessings in order to induce the spiritual um, it's very difficult to devote our attention to religion if we're constantly scrambling for a living if we're always worrying where the next penny will come from if we're working in backbreaking labor we can't engage in spiritual pursuits the Ramam says that when we have prosperity and when we have peace um, all these things are there in order to help us to actually have a richer religious life because once we have the comforts of life we should have more time more uh, leisure more brain space to be able to devote ourselves to worrying about our spiritual sense so the first is agricultural abundance Rav W.C. Hoffman says this moves into the next stage verse 6 and verse 7 which is peace there will be peace in the land you will lie and not be scared interestingly enough um, the second um, stage is a peace that reigns in the streets and byways of the country uh, ability to sleep soundly there are no dangerous animals there is no inner city violence um, personal safety is assured the next stage is the peace in terms of personal safety however then we have a third stage and the third stage relates to the international scene we are promised divine assistance that there will not be foreign attack there will be no katyushas there will be no intifadas ok what will happen 
um, it says here our armies will be able to um, chase armies far larger and far more numerous and powerful than our own we will have uh, peace not only internally in our streets, villages byways and highways but also peace internationally from our enemies and then we move says Rav David Hoffman to the fourth level and the fourth level is a certain special care by God God almost caring for us personally which leads to other blessings God says in the fourth uh, blessing I will turn to you and this phrase intimates that God is taking a close interest in the affairs of Am Yisrael I think what this is what we call in, in Hebrew Hashgacha, uh, divine providence God protects the population from young to old and this ensures high numbers of children of uh, birth rate and uh, apparently also low rates of infant mortality and, and in, in, again we are mentioned, the, mentioned here is the exceptional levels of crop production extensive food stores of the nation you'll have so much crop that you'll have to clear you won't know what to do with the new crop because this old storehouse will be full and then we reach the final level the spiritual level the fifth and final stage of blessing moves beyond God's concern for our physical well-being and it actually talks about um, God walking amongst Israel establishing his mishkan his presence amongst the people there is a sense of uh, spiritual togetherness spiritual communion between God and nation um, and this really could form the, the crescendo I will walk amongst you I will be your God you will be my people we will be together there will be a, a covenant there will be a, a sense of togetherness in this case the, the brachot can also be read as an incremental stage an upward spiral a process of God's increasing closeness moving from uh, God's care um, where he says I will, I will worry about you physically he then turns in almost an intimate personal concern I will turn to you um, the, the, the blessings move from the physical to the spiritual and now maybe we can see symmetry between the Brachot and Kolot in, in, in great clarity um, Ibn Ezra's comment explains to us that the length of the te- text is not a problem when we view things at close quarters we understand that the Brachot and Kolot are both split into five sections and that in each case the text describes a process of, of escalating intensity in the Kolot escalating uh, deviance escalating rebellion and therefore increased punishment in the brachot we begin with God's material blessings and we climax with his holy presence which permeates the collective existence of Am Yisrael and so really here we have a very very beautifully crafted um, bracha and klala but I would like to emphasize something about the brachot, about the brachot which people don't frequently focus on and I started awakening to this when I paid attention uh, to a particular Rashi 
this uh, Rashi, this comment of Rashi, is uh, appears in Pasuk Yudbet, Vitalachti Betochachem. And Rashi says, Vitalachti Betochachem, Atayel Imachem Began Eden. I will walk with you in the Garden of Eden, Ke'echad Mikem, like one of you, Velotiu Mizdaze Imimemi. I don't understand. Who mentioned the Garden of Eden? Why does he say, I will walk amongst you, God says here, in Parshat B'chukotai means, I will walk with you as if in the Garden of Eden, and you will not be scared from me. What is he trying to say? And suddenly I realized that there was actually a fascinating connection between the text here and the Garden of Eden. In Gan Eden, in Bereshit chapter Gimel, it says there that after Adam and Chava ate from the, the Eitadat, they heard God mithalech. Here it's the same word, the same verb. It's not just holech, it's mithalech. Kodesh Baruch Hu is sort of wandering around, hanging out in the Garden of Eden. And apparently, usually, um, Adam and Chava would not even be scared of him. In this particular case, because they'd sinned, man hid, and therefore God says, why are you hiding? But the... The, the assumption here is that um, in the Garden of Eden man and woman were in some way comfortable with HaKadosh Baruch is that what God has promised us here? you won't quake from me in the next comment Rashi says yes we'll still fear God but we won't be terrified by him what is exactly exactly happening here? Um, it would seem that uh, what's happening here is that um, when Adam has this phenomenal relationship with God just like uh, Am Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael when they're doing the mitzvot they feel at ease with God now um, is this really possible? is it possible that man can once again even though we have been thrown out of the Garden of Eden even though uh, the relationship in Garden of Eden where the closeness that man felt in God has been shattered and we've been thrown out is it possible to come back to God like this? is it possible to repair the man-God relationship? Uh, the Ramban says that definitely we can and the Ramban focuses on uh, an interesting phrase um, where he talks we, we're coming back to the question of the wild animal the text here, again, I'm referring back to the beginning of Parshat Pachotai. And I will um, cease the presence of dangerous animals from your country. And here the Ramban says, uh, Ramban starts analyzing the phrase, and he talks about an ancient Machloket Tamaim. The question being, how do you translate Does it mean, I will stop wild animals from coming into the land or possibly in a sort of midrashic reading means I will stop the wildness of the animals I'm going to read to you the Ramban from this Pasuk um, Pasuk Vav the Ramban says the following um, he says like this um, in the view of Rabbi Yehuda I'm reading the translation but we will read some of it in Hebrew he says in the view of Rabbi Yehuda the text reads very simply that wild animals, vicious animals, will not enter the land. In the wake of all the plenty and other blessings of goodness, the cities will fill with people, and 
I think the Ramban means that because of the increased population and the population gaining greater control over land, he says wild animals will not venture near a populated place. But he says, then continues, he says, but the other Tana, Aldat Rabbi Shimon, according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, Sha'amar Mashbitan Shelo Yaziku, that Rabbi Shimon's opinion says that animals will stop causing any harm. Yomar Rishbati Ra'at Hayot Minaharet. The, the, the danger of the animals the viciousness of animals the violence of animals will actually cease to exist in the world and says the Ramban he says this is correct for the land of Israel at the time of Am Yisrael's fulfillment of the mitzvot of the commandments will be like the world was at the very beginning before the sin of Adam Ein Adam. no beast will attack man and kill man as it says in the Gemara Ein arod mimit mimit. it is not serpents which kill but it is sin which kills now this is a daring reading of the Ramban and it spells out an incredibly um, radical perception of what the brachot here mean and uh, what Jewish history means let me explain the Ramban asks us what sort of world do we create when we follow God's world and he says that in the era of total commitment to God we can actually go back in time we can catapult ourselves back to Gan Eden but not physically we can go back to a world before sin before sin we weren't afraid of God only when we sinned against God and betrayed Him we started quaking in His presence we can go back to a pre-sin world of Eden where man and beast lived in harmonious coexistence the world of the Rahot is the Garden of Eden with all its associated blessings and plenty with all the intense presence and closeness of God and absence of sin um, and this is quite quite an incredible thing uh, by the way in this context it might be valuable to examine even the changes that take place when man is forced to leave the garden man and woman eat from the tree of knowledge and they're banished but before they're left they're, they're, they're cursed how are they cursed? the woman is cursed with the pangs of childbirth the man is cursed where it says you know you shall um, by toil you shall eat from the earth all the days of your life that uh, thorns and thistles will, will sprout out weeds and you will only eat by the sweat of your brow the hardship, the curses of Gan Eden which in, we incur when we sin are pain in childbirth and the terribly exhausting task task of tilling the land so that we can eat but if you look in these blessings what do the blessings say? the blessings say that agriculture will become easy bringing children into the world will become easy maybe indeed the blessings describe the way in which the curses of Adam and Chava have disappeared and why have they disappeared in Eretz Yisrael? because we are back in Gan Eden because we are in a pre-sin, a non-sin world um, so where exactly does this lead us? Um, I think something quite incredible is happening if we look at the story of the of the, of the Torah Bichlal, the Torah starts off in Gan Eden and we are exiled from the, le- from, from, from the garden 
because of our sins and now we are coming into a new land which God has designated for us it is fascinating that in his opening comment in the Torah the Ramban parallels Eretz Yisrael with Gan Eden and says that God wanted to teach us a lesson that whenever you sin you experience exile you're in a special place you're in a garden of Eden a garden of closeness to God if you sin then you get thrown out and the same is true says the Ramban about Eretz Yisrael he says I don't care who's in Eretz Yisrael whether it be the Canaanites the Jews the Romans whoever whoever sins in this land which is such a spiritually sensitive zone of the world will be exiled will be spewed out if they do not keep the Torah um, the land of Israel and the Garden of Eden are both spiritually attuned they are a spiritual measuring stick a barometer and they tolerate their inhabitants accordingly if Shem's laws if God's ethic is followed it will become paradise it will become a place where all the worldly things are taken care of and one can focus on higher things God's, the relationship with God however if God's laws are rejected then the place ejects its inhabitants and we're not allowed back in and I think this is really something that underlies as we finish Sefer Vayikra the whole of the latter half of Sefer Vayikra Sefer Vayikra begins with the notion of the Mishkan but in its second half it turns its attention to life outside the Mishkan to, to all the different avenues of life the streets, uh, business, the boardroom, the bedroom the whole of society and at the beginning we are given a warning and the warning says uh, do not copy the practices of Egypt do not copy, copy the practices of Canaan what are you meant to do? you are meant to be Kedoshim to you and if you don't do Kedoshim to you the land will spew you out this is the message the message is that there is a delicate sensitivity in Eretz Yisrael now this shouldn't only be a threat I think what Parshat B'chokotai is saying is that there is enormous blessing we, don't, we hear the threat at the beginning in the Parshat Achareimot we hear the caution but at the end we also hear the blessing um, this is a land Eretz Yisrael it hides enormous reservoirs of goodness, hope and blessing and indeed it, it, it harbors the road to Gan Eden of course if we don't keep the law we also hear the doom and destruction but um, Eretz Yisrael provides us with an incredible potential and that's what the Brachot and Kolot are trying to tell us that really if we can look at the Brachot and see the path they lead us it is the road back to Gan Eden the road back to a state of innocence a state of precinct and the Torah seems to be proposing and suggesting that Am Yisrael is capable of achieving it if only in if only as Am Yisrael we could find a way to keep God's laws maybe we could try and see if we could find a way that path back to Gan Eden Shabbat Shalom and thank you